a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 127 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast on your favorite social media outlet. This is going to be a very brief open because I'm recording this in the closet talking on a small digital recorder because we finally finished adding our downstairs wall to create a third bedroom, which is going to eventually be the new Say the Damn Score studio so that... My old studio slash office will be the new baby's room. However, while the wall is up, it's mudded, it's painted, it's just about ready to go. But right now, my podcast gear is packed away, and we still need to add power outlets to the wall, which it turns out are rather crucial to setting up a DIY recording studio. So for now, we're hanging out in our walk-in closet and recording the open to this show. Quick career update for everybody. Minnesota has now moved football and volleyball back to the fall from the spring, which means I'll have football and volleyball games to broadcast, which is a good thing. But it also means that I'll have to sell all the sponsors for my biggest moneymaker in about 10 days, which from a business point of view is going to very likely take a big hit on my income for the year. So it is what it is at this point this year, every time... A curveball is thrown. It's just make the best out of it and move forward and assume that things will be better in the future. That's all we can do at this point. That's all I can do anyway. I don't want to speak for everybody else. A quick baby update. Uh, I do want to tell you that for all of you giving prayers, support, good karma, positive vibes, whatever you're sending this way. Uh, we had our first lung measurement uh, about a week ago, and we've seen a 10% increase in lung size since the operation. This moves uh, our case from severe to moderate, which is excellent news. We're a long way from being out of the woods, but it's nice to, it's just nice to have something positive happen in this giant disaster of a year. It really makes you appreciate the little things. If you are listening to this on time, Sarah will be relocating to Rochester, Minnesota to be closer to the doctors at the Mayo Clinic on Saturday, which will be another challenge for us, but uh, she'll be gone for about two and a half weeks, maybe three if they elect to to have the balloon in the trachea a little bit longer. But you know what? It, it is the best thing for the baby, and we will find a way to make it work. This week's guest host is a good friend of mine, John Little, who is a news anchor at 
KRLD, a blowtorch station in Dallas, Texas. He is formerly the women's basketball voice at the University of North Texas and also the host of the Her Hoop Stats podcast, where he talks to many of the best and brightest minds in women's basketball. He was also the guest on episode 22 of this podcast about a million years ago, and I'm sure he views that as his greatest accomplishment in this business. He will be visiting with George Dunham, who is the former longtime men's basketball voice at the University of North Texas, and he is a sports talk legend at 96.7 The Ticket in Dallas, where he has been there since just about the beginning. That is one of the many topics that John and George touch on. And that's all from me. Without further ado, John and George. Well, couldn't be more pleased than to be joined by my old friend, George Dunham. George, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, John, glad to do it. Good to, he- good to hear from you again. It's good to talk to you. We're both big North Texas guys, but you are the original. You've been believing in the mean green for 35, 40 years now. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, we've, we've got that in common for sure. Uh, but Absolutely. I want to know, I, I want to know about the start of your career. Let's take it back. Let's, let's go back and in the, in the start of your life. When did you first start getting, you know, that bug for sports broadcasting in any form? You know, it really happened at North Texas. And I just had a big realization one day that I had loved radio all my life, but just never really thought about going into it. And I don't know why that is. Uh, Like a lot of 18, 19 year olds, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was a business major at North Texas. I guess I was going to go into business, you know, just kind of generic, um, you know, Mike Brady, hey, I'm going to go to the office kind of thing. And it's funny, the guy that I've been working with at the ticket and even before then, KRLD, well, before we started working radio together, Craig Miller and I lived in the same dorm at uh, North Texas and West Hall. And we got to know each other through a class. And then we realized, hey, we both live in West Hall. So we started hanging out. I don't know, two or three weeks into it, I said, by the way, what is your major? And he said, radio TV. And I think my line was, uh, I didn't know they had that. What's radio TV? And he told me, and, you know, I started talking to him about the classes he was taking. And I I mean, just it really was a a light bulb moment. That's when I made the switch. And and I said, let me get this straight. You can inquire at KNTU and tell them you want to do sports. And if you can string a sentence together, they'll put you on the air. And and it's at that moment that uh, I just realized this makes total sense to me. I used to stay up late at night listening to games on AM radio and see just how far away I could I could bring in a station. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, I used to listen to KRLD. When I lived in Texas, I used to listen to WLS and KMOX uh, at night, the Chicago and a St. Louis station, or KOA in Denver. And I, I just thought it was so magical. And then once we, you know, started doing some things at KNTU and uh, doing games, and then I really uh, found that passion for, yeah, I was always a huge Harry Carey fan and Brent Musburger fan. And, you know, when I moved here, Brad Sham and Eric Nadell and, and Mark Holtz, I just never really, I never really kind of, you know, put two and two together. And it just, and it's why I've, in addition to the, you know, the athletic teams that have brought me back, it's, it really is why North Texas is so special to me. That's that's where I, I really found what I wanted to do. And I guess that's the case with most college students. When you go off somewhere, you you figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. 
Um, but it, it really was just kind of a aha moment my, my freshman year at, at, at North Texas. Do you remember the first moment you cracked the mic? What were you doing? Were you doing a, a sports update or a talk show or play-by-play or color on a game? What were you doing? Yeah, I did. I think when I actually, my first on-air was a sports cast and it was really early in the morning because I, you know, whoever was sports director then I thought, I think thought, okay, let's, this guy's never been on the air before. Let's put him, but maybe no one's listening. And he was probably right about that, but I just assumed the whole world was listening. And I got to tell you, that was a real magical time too, just because I could, I think I told my parents and few people that I knew, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do a sports cast Monday morning at seven 15 and you know, you can listen to me. And I just thought that was kind of cool, you know, and it was probably a train wreck. I, I got through it. I thought about pre-recording it just because I thought I was going to be so nervous. There was no way I could get from point A to point B. I don't think I have that anymore. Somewhere I still have my, my first sports cast on KRLD. It was June 26, 1988 at 1.15. That's why I try to send a text to Brad every, Brad Sham every June. Uh, just to say, hey, thanks for giving me a shot because he gave me a, a pretty unorthodox shot right out of North Texas. But yeah, I, I, I do remember that first sports cast on that Monday morning somewhere around 1985 or 1986 and I was scared to death. Well, who wouldn't be? You know, you're, 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 <laughs> yeah. you're jumping on the air and you think, my goodness, I mean, I'm going to, you know, screw this up and, you know, I'm going to be seen as a fraud. Or at least I, I don't mean to transfer my feelings onto you, but it's that's no, certainly. No, that's it. You just said it. Yeah. Fraud that you have no business. Because I just, and maybe that's why it never dawned on me before. I just thought people who were on television and on radio were A, the probably the smartest people, you know, that you, because they had an answer for everything and an antidote. Uh, you know, I, I never thought I was, you know, like Chuck Woolery or something who was really smooth or, you know, someone who hosted a game show or someone, who, uh, Pat Summerall. I just thought I don't have that kind of voice. I don't have that kind of intellect. Uh, that's, that's just for a very select crew. Then I got into radio and TV and realized, yeah, just about anyone could do this. <laughs> Um, some can do it better than others, but, um, yeah, it, 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 I think that's maybe why it took a while, you know, to dawn on me. No, that could be you. You can do this. And it's just like anything else. It's going to take a lot of practice and work, but it doesn't seem that way. You know, if, if you're really trying to do something that you're fascinated with and passionate about, it doesn't seem like you're putting in work. You're just, you know, you're putting in those practical hours. You're getting those 10,000 hours of, you know, some expertise of some sort. And I won't say it was easier because it, it wasn't easy for me at first. And heck, all these years later, there's times where I, you know, be a little nervous about a segment or something and or run out of things to say. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's still a challenge. And I guess that's maybe why I still like it. It's still a really a big challenge for me, but the, the scope of it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the big beast that I, that I thought it was, uh, that I made it out to be probably. And, and probably all of us do when you, when you first start. Well, and there's going to be some bouncing back and forth here because your career has been so multifaceted. And it seems like the first big breaks you were getting were on the play by play side of things. And obviously you have a huge respect for that and a huge love for it, having done it for the University of North Texas for 25 years. And really that, that kind of started there in the late eighties, right? Yeah, it did. And, um, you know, that was, I think all of our, all of, 
broadcasters who come out of North Texas, if, if you had an emphasis on sports, your favorite class, no doubt, was uh, sports broadcasting 3330. I still think that's what it's called. I think still think it's the, the name of the class. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think you're right. 3330, yeah. It used to be in room 330 of the RTVF building, so it was really easy to keep that <laughs> – keep that in check and it was taught when we were there by the legendary bill mercer um longtime sports announcer with the cowboys and rangers and white Sox, and of course uh wrestling and that class just i mean it made my imagination just run wild listening to what bill had done in his career and i remember thinking in that class and conversations that craig and i would have at night where are we going to end up is there any way that we could work around here or we could work in texas and we would usually dismiss that and go, nah, nah, we're probably, I don't know, maybe a neighboring state. Craig, maybe you can go back to Oklahoma. Maybe I could, um, cover the White Sox in Chicago or something. I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe it's going to be a small town somewhere in Texas. And, you know, and I, and I just figured that's what I would do is play by play. I just loved it so much. And that, that was another confirmation for me when I took that class. And boy, Bill used to put a lot of red ink on my tapes. He, he I think he thought I had potential, but at the same time, there were a lot better announcers. Then again, I went to school with Craig and Don Harris, who's in San Antonio, and David Burrell, and Craig Way had just completed his work at the, at North Texas. So I went to school with a lot of really, really talented people. And I remember between that and just thinking, you know, maybe I'm I'm okay at this, but I thought by the Here's the thing. This is what's so great about North Texas, and I know you had this experience too. It gave me an opportunity to do sportscast. To we even put together a talk show that was just awful, like Craig and I did on Monday nights. But it gave us that experience. And after two or three years of that, we had a pretty good reel by the time we left college. And I had uh, I could edit video and edit audio. And you know, if I wasn't going to be on the air, I knew what be behind the scenes. And I did some TV, so I. But boy, my, I, I just thought if I could just someday get a team and broadcast a team and I, I got some, a taste of that doing Louisville football when we were in school and I did stats, I did color one year. And then uh, my final year in North Texas, I did um, Louisville high school football and uh, Don Harris and I were the crew. And, you know, I did, gosh, 12 games that year. And that's a lot of them. You start adding that up with what I did the two previous years. Also, I've done 30 games plus doing locker room shows in North Texas. And I had three years of really legitimate radio experience. And people that I knew in the Dallas market, like Craig Way, when they needed a voicer from a high school game that I was doing, or there were times where Craig would call me in my apartment and say, Hey, there's a big baseball playoff game tonight in Denton. If you go cover it, uh, I'll give you a chance to get on the air doing some voices at KRLD. And, I, and here's another moment. Wait a minute. My voice on KRLD, you know, and I put together this real, you know, just a 30 second voicer, but I spent so much time on it. You know, went out in my car and listened to it when he, you know, when he threw it to me. And God, that just gave me the bug even that much more. But play by play was, was it for me because I just thought if someday I could do play-by-play for a city team or a college team, I didn't even consider the NFL. Just that just seemed like a pipe dream. But you know, maybe if your brakes uh, went right, that you could do that. And I, those are still great memories. Doing those games for 25 years, uh, five years doing color with um, with Bill Mercer, 
uh, before I started doing play-by-play in 94. That, that was just, I, I do miss it, you know, and it just became uh, really tough for me to continue doing it with doing a morning show. I'm not in my 20s anymore. I, I just, uh, I can't work seven days a week in, in football season anymore. I, and I used to do that, uh, high school games on Friday, North Texas Saturday, and then uh, do PA for uh, the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon or cover the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. And I just, um, I can't do that anymore, but I, I wouldn't mind someday maybe going, if someone would have me, you know, go back and, and do play by play. And um, i tell you what my new vision is. And I've, I've talked about this with uh, my son who's coaching high school football. Uh, I tell him all the time, you know, wouldn't it be cool if someday here in the next 10 years or so, and he's really just started, he's only in his third year as an assistant coach. You get a job somewhere as a head coach and it's, it could be some small town in West Texas. It could be a 5A program in Houston. I, I don't care where it is. And I wouldn't want to bump anyone off the air, but if they needed a radio guy, you coach and I do the games. I, I think that would be pretty neat. Yeah. It would almost be better if it was a small town in West Texas and you're on yeah. that, you know, that, uh, yeah, that little absolutely. country radio station and, you know, they're able yeah. to play some bird dogs leading into <laughs> the pregame show. And then that's it. And then you've been tapping into my daydreams, I think. And then you've got the, you've got the country color guy with you as well, which is a prerequisite. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that would be great. Oh my gosh. That would be awesome. And that leads me to the fact that, you know, in, in your final few years as uh, the play by play man at the University of North Texas, you got to call games where your son was playing on the field for the green and white. What was that like? Man, it was it was great. Uh, it, it really was. I, I won't say it, it wasn't always easy, and I tried to just play it right down the middle. And we never, you know, really said, "Hey, that's my son down there snapping." But you know, if if you listen to the games and you follow the team, you you figured it out. Hey, that, that, that's George's son, who's the deep snapper. He started there as a you know started off as a linebacker deep snapper, and then uh, was just the, the the deep snapper there for the last few years of of his college career. It's such a physical game and such a violent game. And that was probably my worst moment in the booth, just professionally and emotionally when, uh, we played LSU in, in 2012, I guess it was. And it was only his first or second game, uh, as a, as a starter. He went down covering a punt and he was just about, um, I, I thought he was going to make the tackle on a guy named Odell Beckham Jr., who was returning a punt for LSU. I've heard of him, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they had a few talented players on that LSU team, including some fullback who was about 240 pounds, who delivered a block that is now illegal in football. And um, they, they blindside blocked him, and... He was motionless on the field and I stopped talking as Odell Beckham Jr. is going down the sideline. Now there was a flag down. I was able to get that out. You know, Beckham to the 40 outside of the 30. There's a flag down. This is coming back. And then I stopped talking because all I could see was my son crumpled at midfield and professionally it was, it was really kind of embarrassing. You know, I, I should have been able to fight through it and I always wondered. You know how I, I I could do that, and I didn't do a very good job of it. And I think I even said, uh, you know, I apologize. Uh, Beckham is out of bounds at the twenty. Uh, there's a flag down, and there's also a North Texas player down. And 
uh, that is my son and he's, he's not moving. It was really upsetting. I mean, it really was. I, you know, I, I feared the worst football being football. They took him over to the sidelines, um, wiped the blood off his face and he went back and finished the game. Uh, incredible. Uh, we learned later he had a, he had a concussion. I don't know if he should have gone back in that game, but outside of that moment, um, and then the other moment when he was injured in Ohio, uh, we went up and played at Ohio and I didn't realize at the time, but he played the last three quarters with the Liz Frank fracture. He gutted it out and played the entire game. He suffered in the, uh, in the first quarter and one of his teammates stepped on his uh, foot. He would have surgery and he was able to come back and snap in the bowl game that year in 2013. And then he went and played in 2014. You know, outside of those two moments, it was really a lot of fun. You know, I mean, we went to some really cool places like, uh, like LSU, like Alabama and Texas. And his first game as a, as a true freshman, he didn't play, but he, if, if things would have happened, he could have been on the field as a linebacker his freshman year. And his first game was Clemson. Todd Dodge was the coach at the time. And he said, I got to tell you, I was down on the field beforehand and the sun was warming up and he was just laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? He said, I just can't believe I'm here. You know, and it was really cool. Um, so I, you know, I got to experience that with him and now he's coaching and uh, a lot of that he picked up from, you know, what he learned at, at North Texas and he's coaching special teams. And, you know, his, his dream is to someday be a head coach and I, and I hope he can do that. And anyway, if I can't broadcast the games, if I can just be in the stands, that'd be pretty cool too. And you'll just be broadcasting the games in your head like we all do, uh, you know. <laughs> exactly. What yeah, a call exactly. by Dunham. What a gutsy roll of the dice <laughs> on fourth and six. Yeah, either that or what the heck is he doing? <laughs> not going to go for it on fourth and one at midfield? What are you? Yeah. Exactly. Well, we're visiting with uh, George Dunham, and this has just been um, tremendous so far. And I know play-by-play is a deep love of yours, but, of course, uh, your morning show on uh, the ticket, which is run for um, – You've been a part of that uh, since the beginning for now more than 26 years and uh, the morning show for about uh, 25 of those, I guess. Right, George? And yeah, just yeah, October of 95 is when we moved to mornings. Yeah, before that, it was two to five in the afternoon. Man, so you're coming up on that uh, on that magical 25 year anniversary here in just a month. Um uh, you know, for for those, and we've got a, a really good national cross section of an audience here. For those that aren't familiar with what you guys do there, uh, of what you've been able to build there over the years, and and what it's meant to this area, how do you describe the ticket to people? Well, it's a hard thing to describe. Um, it, it's one of those things you just kind of have to experience, and it may or may not be your cup of tea. I, I guess the best way to describe it is whatever you hear in, in your town, wherever you live, whatever you hear on sports radio right now, a lot of it probably came from my radio station. Um, just, and, and, you know, impersonation is the, is the greatest form of flattery. And I think it's great that we've been able to impact it in the way that we have. If you listen to a show where you hear a lot of audio clips just out of nowhere is what we call drops. Um, that really took on a new life and went to a new level on the station. Uh, there were other stations around that were doing guy talk or 
you know, sports talk along with just kind of lifestyle talk. But I think we, we, we took that to another level, not just again, not because we're, we know more than other people or we're that, um, that image that you have of a radio announcer. Oh, they know just a little bit about everything. No, we, we really don't. And we're not afraid to admit that sometimes. And sometimes that's where the hilarity is that, you know, someone could be that clueless on how refrigeration works or, you know, or just, I'm just throwing something out random. Um, and I think I was a part of just a collection of guys that were really unique, uh, from Mike Reiner to Greg Williams, Craig Miller, who I do the show with and Gordon Keith. There's no, there's nobody like Gordon. And radio. He, now he is an expert on about 30 different subjects. He, he didn't get his college degree, but he's probably one of the smartest guys that I know just because he knows so many different things. And he asks a question and then researches it and figures it out. I don't have the energy to do that, but he does. And then you put onto that his comedic ability and his impersonation ability. And Gordo's always been our secret weapon, but we just had so many funny people through the years and hardworking people through the years that you put all those guys together and you keep them together. Basically, we've had you know the same lineup now for for twenty years, and and you get really good results. And, and we've we've had that. Sometimes it mystifies me how we continue to have those results. And at some point, you know, it's going to go the other way, and uh, all good things must come to an end. But but we're still hanging in there. Maybe in the early days of the ticket, we were all pretty brash. We were all, yeah, we're number one, and that's just, uh, of course we are. Now, uh, you know, we're, I think we're just very grateful individuals. We're grateful that we were able to live in this market for that long and to work for a station that had that much success. And uh, maybe that's what everyone is on the downside of their career, that you're just starting to be a little more appreciative and smell the flowers a little more. Um, but you know, it's still that challenge. You get up at three forty-five every morning. You better like it. And I do. I like the challenge. I like the fact that we, you know, and especially in this time in the last five months, where you know we've tackled some pretty heavy subjects. And again, we're not experts. We're, but I think it's that everyday guy, you know, that I, I know. Certainly, I'm not extraordinary really at anything. But you know, I I think I represent opinions of at least a portion of our population that may feel the same way. And there's some I don't. And I think sometimes that resonates with people with me, you know, and that's where you have some, we used to have discussions about things like that. Now we just kind of club each other over the head on social media about those things, but uh, that's changed with time, but it's still, it's still just conversation and it's conversation about, you know, things that we like sitting around talking about sports, you know, sometimes beer, um, funny shows on TV, a movie you saw, uh, what happened when you went to a little league game? What happened at a high school game or a college game that you went to? It's just, uh, you know, life's experiences. And it seems as though, you know, when I've heard you guys talk about the impact your show has had, it's almost never that somebody comes up to you and says, you remember that opinion you had about, um, uh, George McLeod back in 1997 and whether or not he should have been shooting so many threes. You remember that? That really impacted me. No, it's the, it, you know, it's September 11th. It is right. coronavirus. It is, uh, racial injustice. It is 
those sort of things. When you've opened up your life as well, which I know that you have have done over the years and and, and talked about um, personal experiences you've had with your with your family, it's it's those things that impact people, not your sports opinions. No doubt, and I think that's I think that's not really unique to the ticket. I think that's what everyone who's been successful in, in radio and TV, if you have some sort of show, a talk show, a variety show, it's that personal connection you make. And it's a really hard thing to do, you know, and, and some can just turn it on and say, oh, I'm just going to tell the story. There's some stories I haven't told just because it's it's too personal. It's too private. Now, some I have, and I maybe I didn't think they would be so personal and be so private. And you can't, you can't help but get emotional when you tell those stories and it's hasn't been always the easiest and then easiest to deliver. And then once you do, you think, Oh man, I, don't, I shouldn't have said that. You know, who cares what I went through? And it wasn't really that great a story. Was it really that impactful? And I sound like a blubbering idiot. And But then all of a sudden you get feedback of, thank you for saying that that same thing happened to me. You know, I had a friend who went through that and, I, I tell you the most meaningful thing to me is it's not, it, it is some of those stories that I shared and people said, thank you for telling that. It really resonated with me. And it, it, it made me realize that you guys go through the same things that we do. It's the fact that just the, um, and I've had a number of people say this over the years. Thank you for doing what you do. You helped me get to work. You helped me when. I lost my parents or even worse, you know, I've, we've heard from people who've lost children and they, they just have had some of life's, you know, cruelest, um, set of circumstances. And for whatever reason, a 30 minute ride to work and a laugh about something made them feel better. You know, again, I don't think what we do is, is that extraordinary. I think a lot of people can do it. But the fact that we've done it and we've done it at least well enough that people have been able to consume it and make some sense of it. And then to the, you know, to get joy out of it to where it actually that it really didn't mean something to you. That really resonates with me because I understand that, you know, there were announcers who resonated with me growing up or, or even in my adult life who made a connection with me and something that I've heard. And, uh, yeah, that's really cool. When someone says something like that. And it, it, it does make it all worthwhile. What's the magic of your trio? I know that you and Craig have known each other for forever since college. Gordon came into your life a, a little bit later. Obviously, he's, you know, kind of the fire starter in the group. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, you guys aren't what you are without each other. How how do you describe the, the, the magic mix that has been the three of you? I think it started off with just the chemistry with myself and Craig, just because we did know each other so well, we were, and, you know, and have been such good friends for, for such a long time. And then when we found a way to work Gordon in, and that wasn't, you know, always easy. It was sometimes awkward, but you know, sometimes that makes for good radio. Those, those really awkward moments. I think we were one of the first shows in the country to celebrate awkward moments with uh, something we do, the emergency break of the week, you know, we do it every Friday and we, you take those awkward broadcasting moments where someone misspeaks or there's a technical issue and, you know, we just kind of embrace way we know sometimes we're really wheels off and this is what it sounds like. I think that's been part of it. And then it's just, um, you know, I think we've all, uh, the three of us, we've been through 
a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different ownership, a lot of different, uh, well, not too many program directors, but several of them. And uh, we've just been through a number of, uh, of of different situations. And I think we've all been respectful of one another. And maybe that comes through the friendship. And I, I think that translates sometimes that, you know, we, we are friends and that helps. I mean, come on, how many times do you get a chance to, to have a career, a show with someone that not only you went to school with, but, you know, we, we eventually, Craig and I were roommates, you know, after we left West Hall and got into an apartment together with a couple of other guys. And we've known each other since we were teenagers and now we're in our mid fifties. So, you know, that's a, that's a lifetime together. And I, I think very few shows have that. And if they do, then I, I think it's really unique. And can you, you know, it's it's kind of like a marriage. Can you do it and not drive each other crazy uh, over all that time? And so somehow we've been able to to make it through all that. Well, it's uh, certainly magical, and it's it's fun to listen to on a daily basis. Well, thanks, and uh, whenever it ends, I will cry. There is uh, there is no <laughs> doubt about that. Let's not make that anytime soon. So, uh, <laughs> it, but but George, there's so much more to you as well because you're musical. You have carved out a nice little whatever you want to call it side career, side job with your uh, band, the Bird Dogs, and uh, that has really blossomed over the last decade or so. But th- let's go back even further than that. Where did your love of music come from? Where did uh, where did that start? Uh, at a really young age, uh, I, music like radio was always just magical to me. And I think anyone who really likes music goes through this where you discover a band, you discover an individual at a young age, and you listen to them over and over and over again. And my parents had a, a console stereo, uh, four speakers, and the thing was huge. It was a huge piece of furniture. and Back then, you know, that was like a, that was a really nice piece of furniture in your house. That was in our living room. AM, FM, and it has a, as my dad called it, a phonograph on it, <laughs> uh, a record player. And uh, I wore that thing out. And I have older brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of five. So from a very young age, uh, yeah, I had my Sesame Street album, which I think that was my first favorite song, Up and Down by Cookie Monster. Uh, I look up in the sky. I look uh, down at the ground. I look at you and sing a song about up and down. Uh, I think that was my f- first favorite song. Uh, but I had uh, access to Bob Dylan, Buck Owens, a duo named Jim and Jesse, the truck driving songs, Tom T. Hall, and then, of course, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Rolling Stones, David Bowie. I mean, I just... And I was consumed by it. They'd come home from college and bring their record collection. And when they'd go off to work in the summertime, uh, I would spend hours just listening to, to Beatle records and, and the Rolling Stones. But again, and I remember this as a kid thinking, I love this, but my mom and dad would never want me to be in a rock band. I changed that opinion when I was in high school. Um, I was in a band called Pegasus. Yeah, you never heard of us. No one had. Uh, we covered Rolling Stones and Foreigner and U2, and we had a we had you know had a few. We, we call them gigs. Uh, I guess we broke out of the R.L. Turner talent show my senior year. We did the cover of the Rolling Stones version of "Going to a Go Go," uh, uh, yes. which was off their live album, and we had a sax player. And then I remember then thinking, "This is awesome." Uh, the entire school is here. The entire community is in this auditorium. 
and the place went absolutely nuts. And because of that, someone had the idea of, hey, let's bring in another, let's bring in a legitimate band and we'll have Pegasus open for them. And, uh, that was a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> the local band was called the Fugitives. They were a band that played around here in the 80s and it was sparsely attended. And I saw then that uh, the road was long and hard if you chose music. And I, I just, you know, I still loved music when I went off to college, but I, I jumped on the radio. Then we started having kids and, I never really thought much about it. I, you know, I kept had my acoustic guitar and my and my fiddle. Uh, I grew up playing violin. Uh, I was in orchestra from fourth grade to my senior year in high school. But when I got out of high school, I just I, I saw that as an obligation, more of just uh, something that I wanted to keep playing. And then I, I had this another epiphany somewhere around 2005, 2006. I heard the Randy Rogers Band for the first time, and I heard Brady Black play the fiddle. And I've never heard anybody play it like that before. And it made me love music again. And it, it made me love music all over again. And I started listening to their records and Pat Green, and Casey Donahue, and Wade Bowen, and all these Texas artists that I really wasn't familiar with. And I just fell in love with it. And I thought, just kind of like what I thought in the mid eighties. Hey, I think not only do I love radio, I think I could do that. I now thought, I think I could do this. What would it be crazy if? Just for a, even if it was for one night, I know a lot of musicians and we did, uh, I don't know, five or six songs and we called it a night and we just went on about our business. And so I've got together with some of them, but at the same time, I started writing for the first time. I attempted a couple songs in college, uh, that were just awful. Uh, in fact, my wife and I found a tape that I gave her from 30 years ago with a couple songs that I wrote about her. Oh my God. Oh, it's cringy. Just. <laughs> Just cringy, but uh, she said the thought oh, that counts. <laughs> it is the thought, and she thought it was very sweet, you know. And one of them actually is not that bad, and actually has a chord progression that I used later. But I started writing, and then when I, you know, we, we played our first gig, and we made it through with without being electrocuted or uh, having to stop six times, you know. And we, I, I thought it was it was it was a gas, you know. It was a lot of fun and. They encouraged me because I, I played them a couple of my songs and they said, well, let's work up these songs. And next thing you knew, we had about 10 of them and they said, well, let's record them. And I said, okay. So, I mean, we've, we've recorded three, uh, three different records and actually the first one got the number 67 on the Americana chart. We got a guy to represent us and, uh, mainly because of a guy in Auburn, Alabama that liked the song that we have called Neil, um, he played it like 12 times a day and that I was able to get us on the chart. And it was pretty cool looking at the Americana chart. I don't know if you've ever done that before. And I don't even know if they still have this. This is like 10 years ago. Um, but it's based on, uh, how many times a song is played and they count it as a, like if we had three or four different songs that were played from our record. And so that would count as it's, it's an album play. So it's your album that that is charted. Ah, that makes sense. And we okay. had, yeah. So it's not like a single, you know, it's, it's like your album. So, um, but we had enough plays that guy in Alabama who loved our song, Neil, that we got up to number 67 and it was hilarious. You'd look on the chart and it would be 66, Tom Petty, 67, the bird dog, 68, Willie Nelson. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and not that, uh, you know, some of them were really trying, uh, hard to be on the Americana chart, but you know, so a lot of petty stuff 
uh, towards, especially towards the end, you know, that was mainly on Americana because, uh, you know, uh, rock radio stopped playing his new stuff. So I don't know. That was a trip. You know, even something about there, I, I think y'all, you have a purpose for something. And I don't know, somewhere I, I, I quit chasing the, Hey, we could, you know, maybe have a hit to, I realized that I knew so many people in music that what if we started putting together events for causes? And that's where Jub Jam started for the Senior Source of Greater Dallas. Um, we've also played for the LV Project. Uh, Dana Gage put this together. She lost her son in a drowning accident. She promotes water safety. And a family here in Argyle lost their son to an unusual heart condition. We do the Shoot for the Stars Foundation concert, Music Under the Stars every year. And we had to postpone it this year because of COVID-19, but that's where I, I think we found our calling. Um, we've raised, I think with this last virtual Jub Jam, we're up over $700,000 raised now wow. in the last eight years. And I, I don't know if we'll ever go on a tour. We've, we've played with some pretty amazing people from Randy Rogers to Pat Green to Cody Jinks to MC Hammer. We played about eight hours before he did, but we're at the same festival. So I say we played with MC Hammer. Uh, uh, you know, uh, gosh, we played with Merle Haggard before his passing. We, we've played with just a, a long list of, we played with Casey Musgraves. We played with Morin Maris. We actually played this festival and went after, uh, Morin Maris played. And I thought she was great and I couldn't believe we were playing after her. And, you know, here about four or five years later, she, she blew up. Um, so yeah, we've wrecked a lot of festivals, but, um, <laughs> the, the really cool thing, the really cool thing is that, uh, you know, we found a purpose for the band and we don't take ourselves that seriously. Um, we really, you know, we try to make uh, as good a sound as we can, but we always call ourselves the band that never practices. And that's certainly true. And we don't really play many covers because that means we have to learn new songs. So we mainly just play our own stuff with a few covers here and there. And man, it's been, it's been so much fun. I just love the guys that I play with that I can tell them, all right, we're going to go play this backyard. We got to supply our own PA. But by doing this, you know, we, we had someone bid one year at Jub Jam $18,000 to have us play in their backyard. You know, that was a, that was an auction item. And I, I just don't know how we could top that if, if we, that way, if we played the Grand Ole Opry, that would, that would top that. But seeing that we could do some good with it. And, uh, that, that's, that's been really, satisfying and it is kind of a weird right turn when you're in your 40s you start writing music and put a band together but that's just um there's no rules on it you know and why not pack as much into this this little trip through life as as you can when do you write music do you just you know just whenever you feel like it do you ever force yourself to sit down and write and say uh i've got a long weekend i'm gonna write two songs how does it develop for you yeah, and I never really get far on those weekends when I say that, when I say, okay, you know, do something constructive today, write a song. Here's something you've been thinking about. Here's a melody that that's in your head. Expand on that. The ones that have that have gone the best for me have, have been when I'll hear a melody, I'll say it into my, my phone, I'll sing it into my phone, and then I'll have an idea that I've been thinking about, whether it was an experience or just um, theory or, or something, and I'll just sit down. That's usually the best way it goes. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, I finished a song and I and started and completed another song. So I'll, I'll say 
it's, it's been two here in the pandemic and we played them both in our virtual jump jam a couple of weeks ago and i'm really proud of them one of them uh involves pat green who i wrote a song with uh, a couple of years ago he and i have started writing a little bit here and there together and he called me one day and had an idea he said um he said hey i was just hitting golf balls with my friend and i actually hit a good drive and he said hey a little bit of that would go a long way what if we did uh, a little bit of love would go a long way god that's a great idea so got working on it and uh it, to me it sounded like kind of a uh, i don't know kind of a motown slash rolling stones type of song and uh, i'm good friends with matt boggs who fronts the prophets and outlaws and they're a texas soul band and i told him the idea and we got together one afternoon and wrote it i think it's, in all this that i've been doing for the last 10 years i think it's the best song i've ever been involved in and um we finished it played it for pat he likes it he may end up recording it I know the Prophets and Outlaws are going to record it. The Bird Dogs are going to record it. Someone's going to have a hit with us with it. It's not going to be me. Uh, it could be Pat Green, but uh, it, it's got a great groove to it, and, I, and I'm really, really excited about it. And, and most of the songs I've written, they're really for myself. They're you know they were very cathartic after my parents passed, and I think that's that was another thing that really got me going and writing. But they're you know they're just personal stories or they're personal anecdotes and. This one, I think, is more of a, hey, that's a, and, and, and the timing of it now, it applies to so many things, you know, from a relationship with uh, you know, your spouse to the relationship that you have with the guy you pass on the street. You know, maybe if you did just reach out and uh, do your best to be kind, uh, that it really could go a long way. And I don't know, it's, it's a really profound idea from Pat Green, and I think uh, between the three of us, he and, and Matt Boggs and I, I think we've turned it into a really catchy tune. Do you ever just, you know, just kind of really mull on it and be like, all right, so Pat Green is asking me, <laughs> is calling yes. me, you know, I, that's what it would be like for me. This this recording artist is asking me to write a song for him or mull this over or see what you can, yeah. hey, George, you're my go-to uh, writer, see what you can do with this. I mean, I it's got to be mind blowing. It is, and you know, it's it's a lot. Again, I'll make the radio comparison. It's a lot like you know, there were there were times when, well, in my first year at KRLD, uh, one of my first assignments was to go out to training camp for Cowboys training camp in Thousand Oaks, California, and I found myself three times a week talking to Tom Landry, and I just thought, how did you? get here where you are talking to Tom Landry and Tech Schramm and Randy White and the heroes of your youth and now you and it's the same thing here you know I used to I was inspired by Pat and by Randy and um, here the guy that inspired me so much Brady Black he's played four Jeb Jams now and you know comes over to my house and we have writing sessions we've uh, written a song here in the last year as well and yeah sometimes I think <laughs> this is happening, but it just shows, you know, that it's, you know, sometimes if you just pursue things that really interest you, you'd be surprised where that can take you. You'd be surprised the places that it may take you and it may lead you to something else that's totally different. But I think that's why it's, it's good to just to keep trying things. And it's been, it's been really, really, uh, you know, satisfying. And, and it's something that, you know, I, I started doing it just to, more or less, like I said, almost like therapy, you know, just taking the thoughts that I have in my head, putting them down on paper, putting music to them and see if they make any sense. And now it's become somewhat where I use a formula. And, okay, this uh, we need a couple of verses and a bridge and a lead and, uh, you know, we wrap it up at the end. 
you know, to where I can just kind of sit down and outline how to write a song now. And I don't know if it's any good or not, but it's just, and, and someone gave me advice uh, when I was getting into this because kind of the same thing, you know, just like in radio, can I really go on the air? I had that thought, can I really go on stage? Can I really record? And it was uh, Randy Rogers, who my, my writing muse, who said, don't worry about what other people think about it or are going to think about it. What do you think about it? And if you think that it's good enough for you and it, it means something to you and you think that it's not a big piece of hot garbage, then sing it, record it, and see what happens. It's inspirational. And it all started with a one day only gig with Tim Jankovich before he was uh, <laughs> the head coach at SMU. He was at the University of North Texas and you guys got the guitars out, right? At a bank or something yeah. like that and, and played a, yeah, that, played and a you song. You know what? That tape does exist. That is out there somewhere and uh, it, it may be on YouTube for all I know. And yeah, Tim Jankovich, now the head basketball coach at SMU back in the 90s when he was at North Texas, we. We crashed in on a, a band that would practice in the weight room at North Texas. And so he called me one time and said, Hey man, they'll let you play along with. And finally they made us stop coming to their practice. Cause we would, you know, we thought we sounded great. We just absolutely made their practices. <laughs> so, uh, unproductive, you know, that we were eventually kicked out of their practice room, but yeah, we became good friends and, I don't know. I think it was Hank Dickinson who I worked with for years, uh, still at North Texas, who said, Hey, well, why don't you and Jank uh, here on the basketball show uh, play a petty song? And for some reason, we chose Breakdown. I mean, what a depressing acoustic voice that was. <laughs> and uh, we both, I think Tim's guitar was out of tune, and I know my voice was, and it was just awful. And I, you know, I, it went out on Fox Sports Southwest. And here's another thing about working at the ticket back then, you know, you just, you couldn't just put something out and not hear it again on the air. And, oh, I just right. got killed on that. I mean, they, <laughs> it, that got replayed on the hard line daily for about two weeks, you know, just who, who did the hollered over? They just thought it was the funniest thing that ever heard. And, uh, yeah, but that, I guess that's where it started. And, you know, that, that probably caused some trepidation of wanting to do music because that was like your worst nightmare, right? You did it and then people laughed at it. And I was just like, well, if I do original music and people laugh at it and maybe they have, but at least they've had the courtesy to do it behind my back. You know, if, if that happens, then, then what, you know, then, I mean, that's, that's just, you don't need that kind of stress. So I, I think that, that caused some of the angst about, about doing music, but you know, I don't know. I, I'm kind of over it now where someone says, man, they, uh, listen to your songs and they suck. I, I was go, yeah, you may be right about that, but you know, I like them. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my joyful noise that I'll make and you don't have to like it kind of thing. That's right. We're raising money, hundreds of thousands of dollars for seniors and, uh, you know, the LV project and all those other things. So, you know, shove it. Yeah. Right, basically. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, George, this has been um, just an honor. So fun. Looking forward to, you know, letting everybody hear 
your story that's that's not familiar with it and uh certainly one of the most interesting people that's ever been in uh Dallas radio George Dunham thank you so much for your time really appreciate it thanks John those are really kind words and I just felt like I rambled here for about 30 minutes or so but but thanks for putting up with it no no not at all uh it, <laughs> like we said it's it's a winding story and there are many facets to you many sides to this coin so thanks again for doing it thanks John I really appreciate it Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of SayTheDamnScore.com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. And remember, Apple podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps me make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests and the guest hosts, for that matter, in this case, to just show your appreciation of them sharing their stories here on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, usually your host, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.